<coughs> We're turning again to Romans chapter 8. And I'd like to read again from verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Dear congregation, one of the beautiful things about the Holy Scriptures is that they speak to us in a language that we can understand. And they use terminology that we are able to identify with. And in order to describe the relationship between God and his people, the Bible uses a very familiar term, the term of adoption. And adoption is one of those uh, um, things um, that we can describe as being um, an act of love and an act of kindness. Or perhaps a child in this world that isn't able to be looked after or cared for by its parents is taken from that family and brought into a family where it is able to be provided for. And adoption is not a recent act. In fact, adoption is something that stretches back centuries. The Romans had a custom that if a childless couple uh, wished to adopt, they could adopt a child, and that child would be treated legally by the Romans as if it had been born of those parents. It would be given the full status of a birth child. And of course, we read of adoption in the scriptures as well. Boys and girls, you'll remember the story of Moses and how he was effectively adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. We have the story of Esther also, uh, who was raised by her uncle Mordecai. But we're not thinking today about physical adoption. What the apostle is speaking about here is spiritual adoption, whereby those who are naturally uh, born in a state of sin are adopted into the family of God. Our Westminster Confession of Faith, question 34 Ask the question, what is adoption? And it gives a beautiful answer. It says, adoption is an act of God's free grace. It's not something God was compelled to do. It's an act that God did by his own grace. The answer goes on to say, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Think what a miracle adoption itself is. Think of the person that God adopts. Uh, quite often, whenever there's an adoption process taking place here, the parents will get to survey the child that they want. They will perhaps be given a profile on the child, a list of its um, behaviours and its attitudes and any difficulties that there may be with a child. And I venture to say there would be very few adoptive parents who would go and pick out the worst of children. But dear friends, that is what God has done in adopting sinners into his family. He hasn't chosen the best or the most loveliest or those with the most charming of personality or the best behavior or the most educated or the most religious. No, the people that God adopts into his family are sinners 
wicked lawbreakers, those who resisted God, those who cursed God, those who blasphemed his name, those who broke his law day and daily, those who resisted his overtures in the gospel time after time after time. Dear friends, the people that God adopts are the wickedest and the vilest of men. What a miracle that is. But there's also a cost that comes with adoption as well. I'm told that if you wish to adopt from a foreign country and to bring a child from uh, those circumstances to live in your home, you might have to pay tens of thousands of pounds to adopt that child into your family. And that's a cost that many people could not afford to pay. But there was a cost that was paid for our adoption into the family of God. And it's not a price that you could pay with your own money. It's not a price that you could pay with your good behaviour, with your good works and with your religious efforts. Dear friend, the price that had to be paid for your adoption into the family of God was paid by another. It was paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Lord Jesus Christ came and paid the penalty for our sins. He paid the full justice of God upon his own body on the cross of Calvary. He shed his own blood for the remission of our sins. Dear friend, the, the price that had to be paid for you and I to be redeemed, for you and I to be in the family of God, was the death of God's only begotten Son on the cross of Calvary. Never has there been a higher cost paid for adoption throughout history. Thomas Watson, he said, Adoption is a greater mercy than Adam had in paradise. And that's true. When Adam was made, he was made perfect. He never knew what it was at his creation to have sinned. He never knew what it was to need mercy and grace from God. But the child of God does. Because the child of God can look back on the, on the conditions that they lived in before their adoption. They can look back at the place they were and uh, the wickedness of their own heart. And then they can see the status they now have as a child of God adopted into his family and they can rejoice in God's mercy. Something Adam in the garden could not have done. Well, dear friends, adoption is not a cold, dry doctrine. Adoption is one of those heart-melting truths of Scripture. Whenever we pause and meditate upon adoption, it is something that ought to stir up our souls and it ought to give us that insight, that simple insight to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. But there are blessings that come with being adopted into the family of God. And I want to leave with you very briefly just seven of those blessings that we receive from adoption. The first blessing that we receive from adoption is that we receive God's love. We receive his love. There's many children that are born into this world and they do not know that their parents love them. Their parents never tell them that they love them. Their parents never show them that they love them. But the child of God is one who doesn't have to live in that uh, condition. They don't have to live in that state of mind. Wondering, does my heavenly father love me? John 17 verse 23. In his great high priestly prayer, the Lord Jesus says, And that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them. As thou hast loved me, that is, loved his church, loved his people. What a, what a comfort that is for the child of God, that they would know that they are loved by the heavenly Father. In Romans 5, verse 5, 
the Apostle Paul says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Because the Christian is not one who needs to worry and, and be perplexed and be kept up at night wondering, does my heavenly Father love me? The child of God is one who can take comfort from the word of God and know with full assurance that they're loved with everlasting love by their heavenly Father. A child who needs adopted in this world generally feels unloved, unwanted. He perhaps feels uncared for. And as that child leaves one family for various reasons and comes into a new one, it maybe takes that child a little time to adjust. Everything is new to that child. These are new people that are looking after him. New surroundings, new environments. But as time progresses, that child, I trust, will, will generally come to see that these new parents, they're very different from the ones that I left behind. They have care, they have affection for me. They love me. And so the child of God knows that they are loved by their heavenly father. His love for us is immense for us at the time of our adoption. And it's something that should never cease to amaze us day by day. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is something that warmed the Apostle's heart day and daily whenever he thought he's loved by the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, the child of God doesn't need to worry. Does my Father love me? We can rest in his love. We can have confidence in the knowledge that he loves us. Now we may displease God and most certainly we do displease God with our sin and with our disobedience, with even the coldness of our heart and even with our lack of love towards him. But we can never lose his love. Our children might grieve us at times with their behaviour but we don't stop loving them. And the heavenly father never stops loving his children. So the first blessing of adoption we receive God's love. The second blessing of adoption is that we receive a new nature. John 1 verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, that is Christ, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Colossians 3.10 Paul says, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Peter, in 2 Peter 1 verse 4, says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that ye, that, sorry, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. There's other verses we could quote, we'll leave it there. Whenever a child is adopted into uh, a new family in this world, Everything is new to them. It's a new house. It's a new bedroom. It's a new toys. It's new clothes. It's a new parents. Everything is new to them. Everything is new. And so it is when we become the children of God. We receive something new that we desperately needed. It's a new nature. That's what the Lord G or John says. As many as received him. To them give he power to become the sons of God. Paul speaks about putting on the new man. Peter speaks about being partakers of the divine nature. You see, we're born in this world with a sinful nature, inclined to rebellion and love of ourselves and love of the vanities of life. But whenever we're adopted into the family of God, God gives us something that we desperately need, a new nature. 
whereby we're born again of the Holy Spirit. One writer says the gift of sonship to God becomes ours not through being born, but through being born again. And it is only those who have been born again who are in the family of God. We're not in the family of God if we have not experienced the new birth. Oh, we might be tagging along with the Christian religion, but if we haven't experienced the new birth, if we haven't received that new nature, we're not in God's family. A mark of the child of God is that they have received the new nature. That nature that loves God, that nature that lives for God, that nature that seeks to please our Heavenly Father. The third blessing of adoption that we receive is the title of children. And throughout Scripture, the covenant people of God are referred to as the children of of God. Adoption does something wonderful. It changes our status. We are now those who call God our Father. And that is one of the things the Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father which art in heaven. And dear friend, you can't get a more uh, endearing term to uh, call God than our Father. There's many titles we can give God. The Almighty, the Creator, the Sustainer, the Sovereign, the, the Lord, so many titles we can give God. But the most personal one that we can give is our Father. And the Lord Jesus taught us to pray our Father. And if he is our Father, then we are his children. Now a child who's adopted into a family in this world, they will generally take a new name. They might have been born with one surname, but as they're adopted into a new family, quite often they will take the new family surname. And that family will, or that surname will symbolize the family that they belong to. They're not part of that family anymore. They're part of this new family. And that surname is an indication of the family that they belong to. They have the title of belonging to that family. And so the Christian is the one who has this glorious title of being called a child of God. There's many names that we have been given on in this world. Names by our parents. But I have to say the greatest of title, the greatest of name we can ever be given is to be a child of God. To be adopted into his family. To be born again of his Holy Spirit. God has given us this wonderful title of being children of God. So we have that title Sadly, there's many instances in this world where adoption can be changed. There was a very sad case recently of a couple who adopted a child uh, only for the birth parents to pursue it through the courts and to get that child back. Normally adoption is permanent, but there's cases where it doesn't cease to be. And even there can be even tragic cases where the adoptive parents aren't then able to look after the child and it has to be adopted again for the second time. But our adoption can never be lost. God does not make us children of his one day and then cast us out the next. We are adopted into his family for all eternity. Now to say again, we can lose consciousness of our adoption because of our sin. But we never lose that legal status of being children of God. Now there's a heresy abroad, even within the church of Christ today. And it's the, the heresy or the doctrine of the universal fatherhood, where some advocate that God is the father of all, of 
the Christian and the non-Christian alike, that he's the father of the Muslim, the, uh, the Roman Catholic, the Mormon, and so on. But dear friend, that is not the case. The doctrine of the universal fatherhood is in fact a lie. The Lord Jesus uh, made it clear that not all men are the children of God. In John 8, 44, Christ said to the Jews, and in particular the Pharisees, the, the most religious, he said, ye are of your father the devil. He didn't say God was your father. He said, he said the devil was their father. Now God is the creator of all. He's the sustainer of all. But he is not the father of all. That is very different. We have the title of children. What a blessed title. There's people you meet in the world, and if they have a famous relative, they'll not be uh, short in letting you know about it, that they have a famous relative who accomplished some great task or is some celebrity. And there's people who are very quick uh, to name drop. Well, you and I should be those who are most humbled, but also most proud that we are able to call God our Father. This is not a title that we should be ashamed about. We should never be ashamed to let people know that we're Christians. We should never be ashamed to let people know that we are the sons and daughters of God. We should share and we should never be embarrassed of this wonderful title that we have been given. Fourthly, the fourth blessing of adoption is that we have <clears throat> the spirit of children. We're all products of our environment. Uh, those who... Um, are brought up in a, in a bilingual home will quite often be able to pick up uh, both languages, maybe even speak both of them fluently. Those who are brought up in a Muslim home will uh, quite often follow and embody the Muslim religion. Those who are brought up uh, perhaps in a, uh, in a home where the parents have uh, certain political tendencies will perhaps embody the political tendencies and ideologies of their parents. We are products of our environment. The child, the child in the home develops the spirit of the home. And so it should be for the child of God as well. We should be those who are marked by having the spirit of the children of God. We read in Romans 8 verses 15, Ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit beareth the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So it should be, dear friends, that if we have been adopted into the family of God, if we are given the title of the sons and daughters of God, then, it, then we should have the spirit of children. In fact, it should be uh, within us. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.14, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Because the children of God don't live like the children of the world. They don't live like the children of the devil. They live with the spirit of the child of God. And they live like a child of God. As Peter says, as obedient children. In obedience to the word of God. And not to our own whims. And our own carnal desires. John says in 2 John 4. I rejoice greatly that I find of thy children walking in truth. As we have received a commandment from the Father. Dear friends we could spend a lot of time in this. But let me say that the child of God is marked. By having the spirit of a child of God. 
We are those who are obedient to our Father. We are those who walk in truth. We are those who love him because he first loved us. We are those who have a sincere uh, love for our Saviour and our God. We are those whose hearts should be full of gratitude every day for his kind benevolence towards us. We are those whose lives should be marked by the grace that we have received. The spirit of children should be evident in those adopted into the family of God. The fifth blessing of adoption is the fatherly comforts that we receive. I'm going to read from Luke 12, verse 27. It's a bit of a lengthy passage, but it's very relevant um, to what we're looking at here. Luke 12, the Saviour says in verse 27, Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. Being anxious and fretting is part of our human nature. It, we can't help it. In many ways, it's built into us something we're born with. We, we fret and we worry about the most trivial of things. We perhaps see this uh, best uh, displayed in the lives of our children uh, who can fret and be anxious over the most minutest of things. Uh, I remember being called out of bed in the early hours of the morning one time because uh, one of my children had lost something down the side of the bed and they were determined they weren't going back to sleep until they found it, which meant I wasn't going back to sleep until I found it for them. And I kept think, I kept saying, it's okay, I'll, I'll get it in the morning, but that, that wouldn't suffice. Um, I, I had to turn on the light and pull out the bed to find it. And I kept thinking, why, why didn't they just trust me? Why didn't they just believe me whenever I said, it'll be fine, we'll get it in the morning. But how often must our Heavenly Father uh, uh, look at us and think the exact same thing? And the Lord Jesus Christ deals with it in the passage here before us. He knows our human nature. He knows our proneness uh, to worry and be anxious for all these different things. But I think one of the most comforting phrases in the whole of Scripture is found there. Whenever the Lord Jesus Christ says, Your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. Whenever you and I are woken up in the middle of the night with the cares and worries of our life, when we're anxious about our children and their future, when we're anxious about the spiritual lives and the souls of our little ones, whenever we're, we're worried about our health, when we're worried about our jobs, when we're worried about money, we're anxious about these things. Whenever we're worried about how we'll put food on the table, whenever we'll, whether we'll have enough money to pay the bills, we're anxious about these things. But the Lord Jesus Christ says, Your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. So you and I, dear friends, can leave it all in the hands of our Heavenly Father because he knoweth what we have need of. He knows, our, he knows our cares. He knows our worries. He knows them even more than we know them. What earthly father does not wish to provide for his children? Well, it's a selfish one. It's an uncaring one. It's one who's indulging himself and not looking after his offspring. Well, can we ever level those charges against God? I don't believe so. We have fatherly comforts. That doesn't mean that God will give us everything that we pray for. 
It doesn't mean that we will be furnished with a, a luxurious and a lavish lifestyle. But as the Lord Jesus Christ says, Seek not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. Therefore, we should be like Mr. Mueller when he went, uh, when he was running the orphanage there in Bristol. There was so many occasions where they had nothing to feed the children with the next day. And Mr. Mueller would simply get down on his knees and pray, Lord, the children need bread. And the next day, the Lord would provide the daily bread for those children. And he will give us our daily bread. So we have fatherly comforts. Sixthly, we have fatherly chastisements. By contrast from comforts, God as a father also chastises us. We read of this in Hebrews chapter 12 and the verse 5. The apostle Paul says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? What is chastisement of a child? Well, it's nothing but godly correction. Seeking the good of the child, seeking their, their restoration to right behaviours and right attitudes. Parents don't get any delight in chastising their child. If anything, it grieves the parents. Quite often uh, we would say to the child, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you because we take no delight in chastising our children. But God also chastises his children and he doesn't do us to bully us or harass us or dictate to us. It's for our good. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying here. Whenever we err, whenever we break commandment, what should God do with us? Should he ignore us and let us uh, live according to our own desires? No. The children of God should want to be corrected by their heavenly Father. Revelation 3 verse 19. The Lord Jesus Christ says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And as children, we should want to be corrected whenever we stray, whenever we're disobedient, whenever we're walking in bypath meadows. But you know who I fear the most for? It's those who... who claim to be the children of God and say they're the children of God but they live without chastisement from God in Romans 12 Paul goes on in verse 8 he says very solemnly but if ye be without chastisement whereof all are partakers then are ye bastards and not sons he says we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we give them reverence shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live for they verily for a few days chastened us, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. But now Paul says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Paul says very solemnly there, that if ye be without chastisement, you're not a son. God chastises his children 
and instructs them in righteousness. We should thank God for those times of chastisement in our life. That he loves us enough to chastise us and correct us. It's one of the privileges of adoption that our Heavenly Father is willing to chastise us when we go astray. The seventh and final blessing of adoption is the glorious inheritance that the child of God has. Now the child who's adopted into the family in this world, uh, they're part of that family. And they can perhaps expect that whenever their parents pass from this scene of time, that they will receive something of the inheritance. Maybe a picture on the wall, maybe some family heirloom, or maybe a portion of money. They expect a, a little something in the inheritance. Well, a child of God has a glorious inheritance awaiting them. The Lord Jesus Christ said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, ye may be also. The inheritance that awaits the child of God is to be with Christ for all eternity. To fix our eyes upon the one whom our souls love. To be able to gather around the throne and sing, worthy is the Lamb. Christ is the inheritance of the believer. He's gone to prepare a place for us. He's promised he's coming to receive us unto himself. Oh, the child of God has a glorious inheritance awaiting them. We read in verse 17 where Paul says that we're joint heirs with Christ. James 2 verse 5 says that we're heirs of the kingdom. Timothy says there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Peter says that we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you for the child of God we are but pilgrims passing through this world but there's an inheritance awaiting us in Emmanuel's land well coming to a close here this morning my wife was telling me the story some time ago of a, a story she had read of a couple who couldn't have any children and they decided to adopt. And they were partnered with a pregnant mother. And they had agreed to adopt her child whenever it was born. But later on in the pregnancy, the pregnant mother found out that she wasn't expecting one child. She was actually expecting triplets. Uh, so the couple were left with a bit of a dilemma. Well, what do they do? And they decided they were going to continue uh, to adopt the three uh, triplets. They didn't want to separate them. And uh, they uh, said it'll be hard. But we'll adopt all three. And just before those triplets were born, this couple who'd been told they couldn't have children uh, found out that they themselves were now expecting, but they were expecting twins. So they were now left with a, another dilemma. What do we do? Uh, we have legally agreed to adopt these children. We have loved these children before they've even come into this world. And now we're having our own twins. So they were left with a dilemma. Five children under the age of one. They said, we love these children, even though they haven't come into the world, we can't do this. So they adopted the three and they had their own two. Now, many men would um, be despairing under such a situation, uh, trying to remember even all the names and birthdays of all of those children. But there's one father who would never despair. And it's our Heavenly Father. The Bible tells us that the very hairs of our head are numbered by him. The Bible says that um, we are graven upon the palms of his hands. 
He is the Father who watches over us and neither slumbers nor sleeps. He watches our going out and our coming in. He knows us better than we know ourselves because he is the Heavenly Father who has adopted us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us in to his family. And it's only possible because of Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 5, Paul says, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Well, the Lord didn't come just to bring one or two. Hebrews 2 verse 10 says that Christ came to bring many sons on to glory. There's many things in this world that would bring us sorrow and pain and misery. Well, one thing the Christian can always rejoice in, they've been adopted in to the family of God. The Christians can rejoice together that we are heirs together of the grace of life. May the Lord bless his word to us here this morning. Let us stand to pray, please. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank thee today for the comfort that thy blessed word brings to us, for it teaches us that thou art our Father, and for we who have been born again, we are thy children. We pray that we will hide thy word deep within our hearts, that it would be a comfort to us throughout our pilgrim journey. And until we see thee, may we ever remember with great joy that we are thy beloved children. (coughs) Forgive and pardon our every sin and anything that has been said amiss. Forgive it, we pray, in our Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. We will conclude our worship with the singing of Psalm 107. Psalm 107, verses 1 to 9. Praise God, for he is good, for still, his mer- for still his mercies lasting be. Let God's redeemed say so whom he, from then my enemies' hands did free. And gathered them out of the lands, from north, south, east, and west. They strayed in desert's pathless way, no city found to rest. And continuing down to the end of verse 9, Psalm 107, praise God for he is good. (coughs) Praise God for he is good. God.
give you all a, a welcome today, especially those who are visiting with us. The intimations for this week, the evening service tonight at the usual time of 6.30. The meeting on Thursday is at 7.30 and I'll be taking that meeting. Services next week, the usual times of 11am and 6.30pm and the Reverend Stuart Farms will be taking those meetings. There are copies of the seminary journal in the box on the table for those who ordered it and the July-August edition of the Witness magazine is now on the vestibule table. And all intimations are according to the will of God. Let's stand for the benediction. <clears throat> now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all.